Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In recent years, we have heard more and more about trauma and its impact on individuals and families. We don't hear a great deal about trauma experienced by healthcare providers. Today we will. Hello everyone, I'm Pamela Brewer welcoming you to Mind Talk with Dr. Pamela Brewer. I am pleased to introduce you to today's topic, the influence of psychological trauma in nursing and to today's guest. We are joined by Dr. Karen Foley, a member of the Academy of Nursing and author of five books an associate professor and director of the PhD program at Purdue University School of Nursing. And today we are discussing a book that she co-authored with John R. Thompson, The Influence of Psychological Trauma in Nursing. Dr. Foley, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start off with what exactly is your definition of psychological trauma? I really borrow a lot of that definition from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA as we call it, um, their definition. I think it it has a good comprehensive way of approaching it. Um, It's very inclusive as to physical, psychological stress, a single event or multiple events or circumstances, but something causing physical or emotional harmful or threatening um, stimuli that has adverse events um, and could be, which could be uh, long term. They have the three E's the event itself, how we experience it, and the effects. And I use that paradigm as well in the book. All right. You reference in the book several types of trauma, all of which we can't go into today, but I would like to touch on a few of the types of specific trauma you discuss, particularly as it relates to nursing. Mm -hmm. You talk about vicarious secondary trauma. What does that mean? That's probably one of the most researched uh, and most commonly described types of trauma in the literature. By that, um, it's basically as nurses render care in an empathetic fashion and feel, if you will, and experience, if you will, the trauma of the patients and even their peers that surround them, they themselves have what we call that secondary or vicarious trauma and have traumatic stress type of symptoms because of it, which are very similar to the PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms as well. A lot of um, literature points to the outcomes of this, secondary traumatic stress as burnout, Mm. compassion fatigue, and those types of things that we really want to avoid if we can. And you talk about workplace violence trauma. And, you know, I I know that we all know that workplace, workplace trauma exists, but I don't know that we think about it in a hospital, although hospitals 
can be very challenging environments. What is workplace violence trauma? I divide up workplace trauma, and a lot of other folks do, into external and internal components. We know that up to one in four nurses will have physical workplace violence against them. I just did a study mm. that expanded on my book and uh, with, with Dr. Thompson. Our findings in the book was expanded by this qualitative study I did in nurse-specific trauma. And, oh, my goodness, the, the descriptions from the nurses of the physical assaults that they had endured, including strangulation, kicked, punched, um, having their scalps stapled together, it was just really an eye-opener for me as someone who is not currently a bedside provider at what nurses go through. The second type of workplace violence, which I think is a very insidious and subtle, but nonetheless it's still harmful to psychological well-being in nurses, is what we consider workplace incivility and bullying. And a lot of folks may not be aware of this, but nurses are not so nice to each other. And I think that what I tried to do in the book was to give us an opening of those conversations so that we could start to heal and reframe it as really traumatic occurrences. Um, we see it throughout um, nurses and in acute care facilities, primary care facilities, and academic nursing. Um, and I don't know if there's a, an intergenerational component to it. By that I mean, well, mm -hmm. nurses eat their young, and we've done that for a long time. And so I don't know if there's this historical trauma thread to it as well or not. Regardless of if you're referring to workplace violence as um, committed by patients, patients' families, or that insidious internal workplace trauma that sometimes we do to each other and other professions do to us, they're both psychologically harmful. You know, as you talk about the various kinds of trauma that are um, in existence, nursing is starting to sound kind of scary. You know, it's, it's just this wonderful, beautiful profession. I stepped away from the field for about 15 years. We had a, a child that had some significant developmental delays, and then I um, did some other work tangential to the healthcare field. But when I came back to it, I really saw this beauty in nursing that I had overlooked before. Mm. I, I think it, they're, they're full of uh, heroes. And um, I teach a doctoral-level class right now for doctor of nursing practice students. And I am in awe of those people. They are, they are, in my estimation, what I aspire to be in many respects. You know, I, I have such respect for my students. They are in the front lines. They're, they're wanting to improve health care. They're wanting, you know, many of them are advanced practitioners. Um, and so while the, the purpose of the book was to open a conversation, for us to be able to refer to these types of traumas in a conversation so that we could take it a step further and really start to problem solve in a way that was novel and innovative. Mm. T tell me about system-induced trauma. What's that? So that, my husband's a cancer survivor, and I saw what he went through in terms of the side effects to chemotherapy and and how that left him when all was clear in Western medicine's eyes and the, tr the cancer was in remission. But I saw the ravages of the treatment. I saw what our family had gone through, and I, I certainly have seen it in the patients I've cared for. Sometimes um, the treatment itself can be very traumatizing to patients, and then you get into this 
Um, and, and the types of traumas I outline are overlapping. So the nurse who renders care to these folks who are undergoing these system-induced or medically-induced traumatic um, events to, to cure their disorders and diseases will also see their suffering, and then their secondary trauma might increase as a result. You also see a lot of medically-induced trauma when you talk about ventilator-assisted patients sometimes and ICU patients where the whole the whole atmosphere and milieu is, is very strikingly different than other places of hospitalization. So I think we need to increase our, our appreciation and our sensitivity to what our patients go through and ergo then what the nurses see the systems doing to um, the patients that we are trying to help. One of the last types of trauma that I want to just talk about in, in this portion of our, our discussion today is insufficient resource trauma. I'd never thought of it, but as I read it, it occurs to me that many people and many areas in which they are attempting to help and which their jobs require that they provide guidance and help, there are insufficient resources. And I think what you're saying is that it's traumatizing. Absolutely. I mean, I um, presented at Kaiser Permanente in November. Um, they invited me out to talk to uh, the um, what they have nursing scholars in their programs, and it was the Illumination Conference. And I, I felt well. People came up to me afterwards and they said, "You helped make sense of my career for me." And when I talk again, it's a new discourse. It's a new conversation. It's a new way of talking about things. And this insufficient resource trauma. There are just reams and reams of studies that have been done that show outcomes for patients are much more favorable when you have good staffing and you have the help you need. Insufficient resource trauma goes farther than that, though. So let's take a new nurse who she's graduated or he's graduated and they're in orientation, they're in the onboarding process, and they're out on the unit and, and they don't have the knowledge base to do what they need to do. Dr. Foley, that is let, let me interrupt you because we need to take a break, but when we come back, I'd like to pick up right here with the new nurses, sure. the onboarding process, and then what goes on. Folks, this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk. You are listening to a conversation that I am having with Dr. Karen Foley, who is the co-author with John Thompson of a book titled The Influence of Psychological Trauma in nursing. We'll be right back. Dr. Foley, just before the break, you were giving, you were beginning to give us an example, and you were referencing a nurse who was just engaging in the onboarding process. What does that have to do with uh, insufficient resource trauma? Right. So my definition of insufficient resource trauma goes beyond staffing levels. It goes into a knowledge base. It goes into having access to other professionals. But in the case of the new nurse that is being onboarded, um, it, their orientation has to be complete. It has to give them those resources so that when they are on the floor, 
um, and they're usually in, um, eased into it. They usually have a mentor assigned to them, but they need to be able to function at a level that is safe and providing quality care to the patients. That doesn't always happen. And so I think that would be another way of a nurse speaking up and saying, I don't have enough resources to do my job. So often we think about supplies, we think about those tangible resources, but they can also be intangible as well. You know, I mean, that really does broaden the, the look, I think, at the idea of resources and the impact of the absence of them. Because I don't think that traditionally we, we <coughs> connect the two together and think about the trauma of that experience. Speaking of trauma, tell us about the story of Karen. Uh, you, you introduced her to us earlier on, um, and she was a nurse who had been raped. Tell us about her. Um, I, I, this, I don't know if I, I named her Karen. I'd have to look back, but this I might, was an individual. Might, I might have changed her name again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was an individual who touched my heart and um, soul and will forever live within me for her courage and her bravery. And um, I was also very touched with my um, peer who teamed up with me to help her. It was a student who came into my office one day and really kind of blurted out, I, I was raped over the weekend. And it was a process of healing for her. And it was really my first, I mean, I, I worked as a psych nurse for a while. I worked in long-term care. I worked as a administrator. But this was really the, the touch point for me. I mean, I, um, I think I couldn't have written, I know I couldn't have written this book until this point in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it just, it was just a touch point for me to say there's something here that we need to share, and um, this individual, we use trauma-informed interventions with her to make her feel safe, and that is so important. I'm such an important component of healing from trauma, at least moving forward, is that feeling of psychological safety. And my friend um, and peer at the time, even small things, uh, we walked her to and from her classes. We made sure she was not alone during that time so she could feel physically and psychologically safe. We gave her a support system when her, her peers, her other students, had kind of abandoned her. Um, we gave her an endpoint insight. We, you know, my, my friend copied out a calendar for her and marked off the days till graduation because this occurred in her very last semester mm. of her plan of study, and so she successfully graduated. And, and it was that kind of caring, and I, I think that that's why I, I thought about nurses, and we are still a female-dominated profession, and all that women go through sometimes that is unique. Um, and I just felt compelled to put this all together so that, again, my ultimate goal is people could move forward from traumatic events have some post-traumatic growth, be a new new person and a better person and a, an alive person and not be defined by what has happened to them. You point out that nursing continues to be a female-dominated profession, but we also know that more and more men are becoming nurses. Do you see any changes in the profession that you would specifically attribute to the the growing number of male nurses that are coming into the field? I think it's a little too early to say that, but I think the times they are changing. And I think that um, in the environment we have today, it's, it's, it's more, more readily apparent than ever. 
I think men will transform nursing as we know it in a good way. Um, and I, I want to make sure to point out that I think men are certainly vulnerable to trauma as well. Mm -hmm. I had um, one of my um, associates who is a male in nursing um, point out to me when I was talking about this book, he said, well, be sure and put in there about male trauma and being harassed by managers. So I knew immediately that something had happened to him as well. And so I think we have to be very open to everyone's story and everyone's narrative and have those as sacred exchanges where we honor each of our hurt in some way. I think that's such an important uh, point to make uh, because even though I think as a society, and I would like to hear your thoughts, I think as a society we're becoming more open to the realization that men too can be traumatized. I'm not mm -hmm. sure that we're anywhere near the level of sensitivity we need to have people can mm -hmm. be traumatized. I would agree. I think we're still operating in some ways under our assumptions of gender and, and, and um, acting within those gender roles. Um, but I think that's another cool thing about nurses. I think we really see people as people. We see them in crises, in their most vulnerable times. And um, I think that there is such opportunity in those windows of, of time. I think nurses as never before, that being said, are under incredible stressors and pressures themselves within the organization um, to, with less time, the electronic health record system kind of, I think, dehumanizing those interactions to a great extent. We talked about insufficient resources. Um, we talk, and in my opinion, a real disconnect between those at the point of service and those with the spreadsheets in front of them calculating budget. Yeah. You talk about the Joint Commission issued Sentinel Event 59. So I've got two questions. <laughs> what is the Joint Commission and what is the Sentinel Event 59? Um, the Joint Commission is um, accrediting body. They, they do a lot in acute care. They are a very prestigious organization that sets standards for acute care hospitals and other health facilities. Um, this, they have certain um, sentinel events, which is, if you will, a big deal in terms of hospitals and compliances. And they've issued this sentinel event 59 to showcase workplace violence and things that organizations need to do when there are incidents of workplace violence happening. They talk about um, quality assurance or quality, excuse me, quality improvement um, task force. And that's a whole other area in healthcare today. Lean, Six Sigma, and all of these QI projects are being done as a problem-solving methodology in healthcare to improve things. And um, I have my own opinions about those, but um, it's certainly tied to this Sentinel event announcement by the Joint Commission. And what was the bottom line, if there was a bottom line, in this Sentinel event announcement? Event 59. I think it, I think it was to, for everybody to sit up, take notice that there had to be some kind of planning done and some kind of action taken when these events were reported. But that, that in and of itself is the crux of it. They have to be reported. 
And so a lot of nurses will not report. And I've given kind of an outline of, of various reasons why those aren't reported. I, I, I wasn't really hurt. Nothing's going to be done about it. Yeah. Um, I don't want to take time away. Um, referring to the data that I just collected that I mentioned to you, one of the nurses said that she had um, been a part of workplace violence and she was expected to document everything right away, that, that she had a timeline for that documentation, and that nobody was really paying attention to the trauma she'd endured. And so uh, that's, that's the worst way you can approach this, obviously, right, is, is because it dehumanized her. And it, it didn't take that, um, that sting away that she really needed to have somebody listen to what she was feeling and what she was experiencing um, after that event. So in some cases, some of the reactions are similar to those experienced by victims turned survivors of domestic violence. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that nurses are very strong individuals. Um, I think that they're very stoic sometimes, and I think um, they're af afraid to speak out sometimes, too. Um, and do uh, purposeful, healthy things that could make their situations better somehow. But I will say it goes back to that psychological safety and trust in organizations, in nurse managers, in the hierarchy, that, they, that their voices will be heard, that the, that change will happen because of what they're reporting. And so I, I do think, as you've mentioned, the parallels are there. there you know, is there trust in the system? Will change be affected? Will somebody believe me? Will somebody know that I'm not the problem if I report it? Mm. That I'm not going to be second-guessed as to why I put myself next to the patient instead of having an exit. So all of those things factor into it, and reasons all just let it go. You talk about, uh, I think you refer to it as duck syndrome. That's kind of a <laughs> new one on me. Tell, tell us about that. Um, I ran across that, um, and I thought it, it fit some of the students that I see. What we're seeing in, in nursing academics right now is kind of um, national reports of really increased anxiety and other mental health issues in our student nurses. And I don't know if it's generational. It might be, but it's something that is bubbled up to the surface. And so I think that there are these expectations on the current generation to pretend that everything is okay when maybe it's not, and that underneath that, that need to perform, that need to, to be the best, um, as a mother of three young adults, the stakes are high for these, these folks, you know, in, in a way that it wasn't for me. Um, I think that there's tremendous pressure on um, young adults right now to perform, and they know the risks out there. And, and I think that um, we need to instill in them a hopeful future. And, and, you know, I think uh, in a lot of ways what you have written uh, in this most recent book does just that. Dr. Foley, you referenced something called Project Implicit, which I confess I've not ever heard of. Tell us about this organization and why their work is so important in a conversation about psychological trauma? So I'm not too, too familiar with it, but I will, I will certainly share 
um, I think a lot of us have what we call implicit bias. In other words, we're not even aware of the biases that we hold. And so this project is a series of tests that anyone can take online that will give you your ability to kind of be drawn to certain population um, sections or demographic uh, groups versus others. And it gives us um, insight into just that biases that are unconscious or implicit that we don't even know we have, but this project will bring to light for us, make us more aware as individuals functioning in society, um, and, and help us understand maybe our propensity towards one group over another. It, it sounds really critical as we look at the... Uh, uh, well, I was going to say the whole of the medical profession, but it's actually the whole of our lives. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it is an important thing, I think, for us to all be aware of, and often we're not, uh, for mm -hmm. any number of reasons, not necessarily, well, I mean, not conscious, right? I mean, that's the one of the issues about implicit bias. Mm -hmm. What do you hope that people will draw from this really wonderful product that you and uh, John Thompson have created? Well, I remember my very first clinical interaction. She was an older adult in a long-term care facility, and I was a student nurse, all of about 19, and I walked into her room, and I remember feeling totally incapable of caring for her. She was nonverbal. Mm -hmm. It was just a totally different experience than I had expected. I remember my first job, um, one of my first part-time jobs as an operating room nurse in the evening shift. And it seemed like every time I worked, literally there was a horrific automobile accident or a C -se emergency C-section. And they used to call me the disaster nurse. And I remember all that trauma that I experienced through insufficient resources, insufficient experience and knowledge re and, and personnel. And I, I just remember my whole career, I could go on and on and on, and what I wanted with this book, what, what John and I wanted, was to change the, the dynamics and change the script a little bit for folks so that they didn't have to go through what me and my peers did. They could, they could start their careers with a little bit of a leg up and at least be aware of it, call it what it was, give it a name, have a discourse about it, surround it be able to identify and not feel alone and perhaps feel more safe and feel more uh, part of a, a norm, if you will, or a typical reaction, or if they do indeed experience trauma, that they could have some tools to deal with it. Last, I would say nurses are people too, and so that the figure in my book, um, it's kind of a circle, as you know, but on the left side there's this humankind trauma. And we're learning more and more about adverse childhood experiences, which is in the media a lot. And we're learning more about ACEs and nurses as well. And I also do work in substance use in nurses. And we've shown that, that um, ACEs and, and scores of ACEs are related to substance use. So I wanted nurses to be seen as not this caricature of a, a woman in scrubs. I wanted them to be you know, multi-gender, multi-race people who come to nursing with their own histories and narratives and stories and scripts. And I think the more aware they are of what they bring, the better, the better healthcare provider they will be. 
And for those um, not sure, ACEs uh, stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. You know, I don't know if you've thought about this. I just want to put a bug in your ear as we can close out today's conversation. But your book sounds like the basis for a really important, possibly even interdisciplinary, at least course or seminar that people in the, in the, the health professions would really benefit by um, and could actually reduce some of the an unanticipated trauma that so many experience. I would agree, and thank you so much for that. I, I know physician suicide is being examined, moral injury, injury in medicine and physicians. I know that they are, many of them are very frustrated with the healthcare structure, the lack of control that they have, which is, again, key to feeling safe psychological, psychologically. So I think physician suicide is being examined. I mean, there's just myriad. Um, I've spoken to speech and language um, pathologists and therapists. They feel the same thing. One shared with me how she was um, the one to disconnect the ventilator. It was, it, it was just, I think you're exactly right. I think a lot of healthcare professionals have their own traumas. Some may be a little bit different, but I think there's a whole lot of overlap in there as well. Absolutely. How can people be in touch, find out more about what you're doing and what you're writing about and researching? Well, my, um, e I work at Purdue University School of Nursing, the West Lafayette campus, and my email is the initial K is in Karen, F is in Frank, O-L-I, K Foley, at purdue.edu. Um, the book is available through Sigma Theta Tau as well as Amazon. And um, I am doing continual studies, as I mentioned. Um, I have some work published on substance use. I just submitted an article with the trauma data set. Um, and I continue to, to do active research in these areas. Karen, thank you so much for the work that you do and continue to do and for taking time to speak with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. And folks, I want to thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you regularly and can be heard on several platforms, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Alexa, the Mind Talk app, and the Mind Talk website, which is m y n d t a l k dot o r g. Mind Talk is brought to you as an informational and entertaining conversation. It's not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with the professional of your choice. If you would like to email me, I'd love to hear from you. That email address is Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, that's exactly what it is. You take care. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.